It's time for Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright. Have you ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Every week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. Guests will come from many different backgrounds, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Every show is a dose of inspiration. This is Success Profiles Radio. And now, here's your host, Brian K. Wright. Welcome to Success Profiles Radio. I'm your host, Brian K. Wright, and it is an absolute pleasure to be with you today. I'm honored that you chose to spend part of your day with me here, and this is going to be a fantastic and amazing show. I'll be introducing my guest in a little bit, and I promise this is going to be a lot of fun, as always. I do want to take a minute or two to share some things I've been learning and thinking about lately. I will do this every single week. And before I forget, this episode is brought to you by Phone Sites. With Phone Sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. Try it free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Not too long ago, I revisited a book that was the first I ever read on my personal development journey, and it's called The Magic of Thinking Big by Dr. David J. Schwartz. It was written in 1959, and the success principles still hold true today. One of the chapters was about having the right attitude toward people. He talked about giving great value to others and having the mindset of giving more than people expect. Think about this for a second. If we do simply what is expected of us, it's not very memorable. But if you make the decision to go above and beyond to help others, serve people, give them greater value than they pay for, it builds loyalty. People will always remember those who take that extra step. I can think of several examples of people like this in my own life, and I believe in many ways it has led to me getting some of the great guests I've had on my show. When people see value in what you're doing, they will go out of their way to help you. So here's a recommendation. When you see a chance to help people, then do it. Pay it forward. It helps them, and you will probably feel a lot better because you contributed to something greater than yourself. Do it today. You will be so glad you did. With all this in mind, I do want to introduce my guest. But before I forget, if you've not picked up my latest book, it's called Success Profiles, Conversations with High Achievers, Volume 2. It's on Amazon. The Kindle version is 99 cents. You can't even shake a stick at that. The paperback version is available as well, and so is Volume 1. So my guest this week is Dr. Jennifer Herrera. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a successful entrepreneur, bilingual educator, Tony Robbins peak performance coach, author, innovative businesswoman, wife, and mom. She's the founder and superintendent of Tucson International Academy, K through 12 in Tucson, Arizona. There are four locations. 100% of all of her graduates are accepted to two or more colleges, uh, colleges, and this has happened for the last 13 years. Her success with the graduates has drawn news coverage from NBC and ABC for career exposure and goal setting, and it's celebrated in her book, Making College Come True. Her schools promote business entrepreneurship, which is really rare. The public school systems don't do very much about that, so we're very thankful for that. And she holds numerous degrees, most notably a PhD in language, reading, and culture from the University of Arizona. We have a lot to talk about today, so here we are with my very special guest, Jennifer Herrera. How are you today, Jennifer? Doing great. Thank you for a great intro. <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. It's great to have you here. We've known each other for a little while, and yeah. uh, we're doing some things together, and I just cannot wait to see how that all unfolds. Now, before I get to what I normally start with, I have to ask you about something you did this weekend. Tell us about goat yoga. <laughs> 
<laughs> Goat yoga. Wow, my new favorite activity. Uh, yes, I was encouraging the teachers of our schools and also the students to do something kind of different and extraordinary uh, to help fight the depressions and the anxieties and the things that they are going on and on uh, through right now and um, just everything being unknown. So I said I will set the example and I heard there was goats at a yoga outdoor park experience. So I went and got a couple of educators to go with me, and we had a blast. It was so much fun. <laughs> so what is the deal with putting a goat on your back? What is that supposed to do? Is that supposed to help you with balance or centering yourself? I think it's a distraction from um, the norm. You know, I think it's just a, a little mind shift. Uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm okay with, uh, yoga is fine. I can do it. I don't love it. It feels like it takes too long and I'm usually one that thinks I'm always in a hurry. And yeah. so, but the goats, you know, they gave us something to look forward to. There were about 20 people and a herd of 10 goats followed a uh, food around and would come and visit each one of us. And they would hop up on our, our backs just because I guess that's what goats do. And if felt like a massage their little feet they're not very heavy uh and they were were totally bathed and they had these little outfits on it was it's something that was a total uh, distraction and you couldn't help but laugh it was oh, great <laughs> it, it sounds like something to take your mind off of whatever you're worrying about and just enjoy being one with nature maybe Yes, definitely. And I am from a, a farm background, and I uh, have always found animals to be interesting and fun. And, and when you observe them, you're certainly not worrying. So it was a real great release for me and my friends. We have now an experience together, and I hope to do it again. <laughs> wow. So when you were young, did you envision that your career might take a turn with animals? It clearly hasn't. But did you? <laughs> what did you think your career was going to look like when you were young? I, I mean, to be honest, I thought I would just be a school teacher all my life, and I liked kids. My mother was a school teacher. My grandmother was a school teacher. Uh, there were a lot of teachers, aunts and uncles in my family, and it's uh, very steady. It's exciting because kids are unpredictable, so every day you have something different. And I just had a natural gift with kids, and it was uh, it was always it's not very stressful for me to teach. I enjoy it, even when they, you know, give get challenging or something. For me, it's just like, ooh, I get to solve a problem, you know. So it's a fun thing for me to have my skills put to task. And yeah. so that's what I think I thought I would do. But there's such a need in education and nobody was doing anything about the needs I saw. So I started studying and researching and I found out I had a little niche for research. And then that's how I got my Ph.D. It just uh, evolved out of seeing needs and wanting to make a difference. Yeah. How long did it take you to get your doctoral degree? I took the whole 10 years. <laughs> mm. You're allotted 10 years. I did a combination master's and PhD. So my master's just took a year. I believe I did it in a year because I wasn't uh, working at the time. I, I had taken a year uh, just to see what else I wanted to do with my life. And, um, it, and I just did a bunch of classes because it was fun. I enjoy college. I enjoy the, the banter, the academic um uh, scholarly discussions and yeah. I couldn't get enough of it. And then wow. I, the reason it took so long is because of the road bumps of life, which also have really been used for me to help my students uh, as they pursue their college dreams. I mean, I had a, a you know, I, I, I was surprised with a pregnancy. <laughs> mm. So, wow. uh, and I was 
uh, older so when that happened so I needed to take the time off my my body needed me to uh, mm-hmm. you know give it full attention so I mm-hmm. did and then once I had the child I wanted to be with her I didn't want to just run back into the race so I took two full years really had a great experience you know bonding with my daughter um, however at the end of those two years I did take my daughter with me for my PhD down in Aruba and I wow. lived down there with her for about uh, four months and finished my research and then then we came home and started charter schools. <laughs> that is fantastic. So you're bilingual in Spanish. Was learning a second language difficult for you? Um, not really for me because I did it in context of need. Uh, when I studied in school, even seventh and eighth grade, the teachers always said, man, you just have a natural thing for Spanish. You're really good. I didn't know I was good, but they said I was. So mm-hmm. I thought I was good. And I kept winning these Spanish things. And I got a Spanish scholarship from the Spanish club to go to college. And in college, I did test out of a little Spanish. So it was just another thing that, that I got a lot of um, thumbs up up from and and it fed me to want to do more and I came down to Arizona to teach in a bilingual room and I found out I wasn't really all that uh, fluent (laughs) found out real quick uh, that I uh, needed a lot of practice with the oral and uh, you know the biggest giveaway was when I did my first roll call and uh, I saw a a kid uh, on the list that I needed to call his name and it was J-E-S-U-S and I said Jesus Jesus and they were like oh dear God this lady doesn't speak Spanish so I should have said Jesus you know so there was a a basic starting line and over time when you're teaching kindergarten and and the little one says necesito ir al baño and you don't answer fast enough and then they they go to the restroom right there you know I need to go to the bathroom yeah that's (laughs) important to know yeah Yeah. you learned that one real fast I uh (laughs) I was with my family several years ago when we crossed the border into Mexico before passports were required. So we crossed the border in Nogales, and uh, we had we I knew the phrase because I took Spanish in high school, <laughs> a, a year in high school, and a year in college. So that's something I knew how to say, and I needed to say it. And so I got to put that to use. But yeah, it was very uh, yeah. interesting. So yeah. we got a we got a couple minutes for our first break. What was your rock bottom moment, and how did you get out of it? Oh boy. Uh, well, which one there? (laughs) I would say really that one of the biggest rock bottoms was during my time in Aruba. Um, my, uh, my daughter was just like a year and a half old. Like she was like 15 months. I had her in a preschool down there and that part was fun. But, um, you know, I was there alone. My husband was in the middle of his internship, so he couldn't come with me. And, um, my dad died while I was down there in the middle of my oh. research for Aruba. So I had to get my daughter out of preschool, get pack up, go home to Indiana, uh, where my, my mother and dad lived. And I had to help her get through, you know, the, un- it was not unexpected, but it was a little sooner than we thought. Oh. And so I had to help her through that time. So I, in the middle of my dissertation research, I had to take a month off, mm. which that is not easy. No. <laughs> so that was probably a rock bottom because my dad was my biggest cheerleader for being a, uh, getting my PhD. And, you know, it was just kind of sad. Now he wasn't going to see me get it. And, and he didn't get to come down to Aruba. They had planned on coming to Aruba to just enjoy the moment with me of, yeah. you know, me doing my research and then they'd help me with the baby but yep that's how that went and it was hard and when I got back I was so exhausted and just so emotionally distraught I my I got back and my 
professors said, man, we are so sorry what happened. And uh, long story short, they just said, uh, no, you're going to finish. Because I was kind of like, you know what? I'm done. I, I'm not going to. I'm just exhausted. I can't even look at this anymore. And they were like, take a few weeks off and we'll call you. And they called me. They said, no, you are going to finish this. You've done great. So, you know, they helped me out of it. That's fantastic. And, we've, got, uh, we've, got about yeah. a, we've got about a minute till our break. I just want to ask, okay. what do you think is the greatest lesson that you've learned prior to your current position that has helped you now? Oh, boy. I would say uh, persistence. I mean, you cannot give up. I mean, dad dies, got a baby you didn't expect, but you're happy to have her. Uh, but your body is not happy that you had her. <laughs> uh, let's see, all those things. I would say the only thing is go ahead and put one foot in front of the other and do yeah. not stop. That is absolutely fantastic. We are coming up against our very first break. My special guest this week is Dr. Jennifer Herrera, and we're going to talk about how she started four charter schools. We're going to talk about her book, Making College Come True, and a whole lot more when we come back. This is Success Profiles Radio. The mission is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. It's words you've never heard. In celebration of what would have been author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Roald Dahl's 100th birthday, Oxford University Press has published the Oxford Roald Dahl Dictionary. The dictionary is both authoritative and a little bit mischievous and includes everyday words plus those invented by Dahl for his books. One of my favorite words from the dictionary is Zazimus. That is what the big friendly giant calls the stuff that dreams are made of, which he whisks with his magical egg beater. Roald Dahl loves the letter Z, which he uses in his mystical words like fizz whizzing, zip fizzing, and zunk. By now, you might be feeling a bit biff-squiggled. That's another word for confused or puzzled. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Surveys show that 81% of people wish they could, but many never do. If you're one of those people, I can tell you why. You don't think you have time, you may not know how, or you might not believe you are a good enough writer. When you're working with an experienced coach, these reasons go away because I will help you every step of the way. If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.briankwright.com for more information. Once again, that's briankwright.com. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Dr. Jennifer Herrera. And if you've not subscribed to Success Profiles Magazine yet, go ahead and do that. Go to successprofilesmagazine.com. And this month's issue does feature 
my current guest, Dr. Jennifer Herr. It's going to be fantastic. It is a fantastic issue. Haven't released it to the world yet. It will be released to the world within a matter of days. So I cannot wait to share that with everyone. Subscribe at successprofilesmagazine.com. So Jennifer, how did you decide to become an entrepreneur? Well, I was a teacher, as I said, which is a nice steady income, always able to find a job. Um, but like I said, there were some structural things that probably needed attention, especially with the changes of how kids were reacting and just uh, the job markets. I mean, you always have to constantly adjust education for it to be at its best. And so um, I didn't see that the large district scenario was going to be a place I could have much impact. So um, they, someone introduced me to charter schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't a big fan at first. I was like, well, you know, I don't know. I'm not really into um, uh, helping a, a needy population because I thought that's who went to the charter schools. But that isn't the case. And I found out that it's a chance to do something uh, and to have uh, more of a say in how things happen in education. And I wanted to put some ideas to test. So that is how I got there. Wow. Has entrepreneurship been in your family or are you the outlier? Nope. It's been in my family. My dad uh, owned his own businesses. He had more than one, usually going at one time. My um, grandpa also had more than one business. Um, Farmers where I'm from in Indiana, they often farm basically Mm. full time with helpers. And they also have another business or two that they're doing because it's usually small communities and there's a lot of needs. And if they, you know, they're um, able to create uh, a in answer to those needs, they can have more businesses. And that's what my family did. My brothers have both owned their own business. My mom, um, she did just stay teaching, but she always got sucked into all of their businesses and helped. So yeah, yeah. it was a part of our life as a way of life for us. Yeah. How did you know that you were ready to strike out on your own? Oh, did not know if I was ready, but what happened was the, um, the burning desire to bring change was greater than the fear. So really that's what it was. It was my, my passion for really meeting the needs of kids and seeing if it could be done. And like, I am definitely one up for a challenge. And so when I saw it would be challenging yet, I was pretty sure I had some answers. I was all over it. So I never looked back. Wow. Did you have any self-doubts about this at all? Um, well, I did when we almost went bankrupt the first year. Oh, no. <laughs> because uh, the money is a whole nother thing. And um, with the state, uh, working with a, a government agency, you really do have to read the fine print and follow every rule or you'll have a disruption in the, the payment. And um, I had to figure that out. But I guess uh, it's quite common for charter holders to do that. But now they have so many services. I have a wonderful accountant I've been with. I've been open in charters for 18 years. Wow. And I've been with this uh, accountant for at least 16 of those years. And just it's just fun because I don't have to worry about the money. I can be the visionary and be out there helping the teachers be better teachers and, yeah. and, and helping the students achieve their dreams. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you hear horror stories of people who select an accountant and they don't really know them that well. I mean, you hear about the musicians all the time who mm-hmm. have their money embezzled away from them. So for those who are looking for an accountant or wondering about finding an accountant, what would be some of your guidelines for picking a great accountant? 
Well, you always want to go with an agency that has uh, uh, employees. Um, if you do just that one person, say they get sick or they have to go to the hospital, they don't have someone to cover. So you're back to trying to do your own books, which is never good, especially when there's audits and things like that with public money. So um, I was, uh, I did kind of just, it made sense to me to do that. And I had heard some horror stories myself. So I made sure that I had an agency that had a good reputation and there were always three or more employees. And that worked out well because uh, at one point my main person did go to the hospital and, mm. and we weren't sure it was looking good, but I was covered the whole time. So that worked. That's awesome. So you have coaches and mentors. Tell us about that because mm -hmm. mentorship is so important. Oh, yes. If you want to maximize your potential in life and, and uh, be creative, stay challenged, you got to have a coach. And, uh, and mentors too. But how I distinguish those is a coach you usually pay. Um, I do have a paid coach right now and he is constantly helping me think up new ideas, different ways to do things, um, accountability strategies so that, um, you know, you don't, I don't see a pretty, uh, bright, shiny object and go after it without, you know, carefully <laughs> making sure everything else is covered. And, uh, so that has just been key. And, you know, with COVID coming up and uh, not being sure about how this would go for education field, I've had to have plan B, C, and D, uh, just so that I can make sure we can continue to run as a school. And really, he helped me think up all the ideas. There's so many things we can do, even with the same similar setup that we have now. Yeah. And so that makes me feel secure. And it also gives me someone else to call so that I'm not bombarding my husband or my family members with it. Yeah. Uh, this is an outsider and it's very safe to talk to this person. And I've had him for two years, I believe now. And so we have enough rapport where uh, he knows me well enough that he can help guide me back as uh, needed. And, and I appreciate it. That's fantastic. What do you think it takes to be a successful entrepreneur? I think it takes a vision. I think if you don't have a vision, you're just going to be doing a job. And entrepreneurs that are just treating it as a job don't last. Um, so you need to have uh, skin in the game, probably emotionally, definitely financially you will, whether you want it to or not. And you just need to have people around you that uh, are going to speak life to you when you're like ready for everything to die. And yes. uh, that makes a difference. And so I've always had my husband has helped me with the charter schools every since day one. And he even became a teacher because I needed more teachers and I was tired of not being able to depend on that. And mm -hmm. then uh, also just to oversee the finances. So he's another um, check uh, for making sure finances are, are um, l like lining up, that everything looks uh, as it should. Absolutely. So let's talk specifically about Tucson International Academy. You have four campuses, but I'd love for you to tell us how you decided to start this. I think you teased it a little while ago, but I'd love mm -hmm. to hear the story. Well, I decided to try uh, a charter school out because uh, when I got my Ph.D., my uh, teaching friends said, so, Miss Ph.D., what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. What are you going to do with that PhD? And so I said, I'd like to create the ideal school. So we would sit around after a long day at work and, and uh, chit chat. And during those chit chats, they would often say, let's get, do this in your ideal school, do this in your ideal school. Oh, have you thought of that? And then we would just brainstorm and it was kind of lighthearted, but it uh, stuck with me. And then one night I couldn't sleep and I thought I'm going to look and see what it takes to start a charter school. And I opened up the information and I looked online and I went 
into the portal and about, I don't know, 12 hours later, I stayed up all night and I wrote my entire charter. I just had wow. an overwhelming amount of passion and everything fell into place because there was so much talk beforehand and there was so much um, pre-work done. I just think I was meant to do this and it yeah. just came together beautifully. And um, I had a fairly quick uh, acceptance and had to do a few tweaks here and there. And uh, and it was done. Why do people not get charters? Because it's a lot harder than your experience was. It, it and I think they're adding more things because they're seeing holes in in you know some schools that have not been successful it's because they maybe didn't require you know knowledge about this or that. So they're being very careful and very picky because they want it to be excellent, not just eh. And so for me, um, I think right now. The things you have to do is you have to know your curriculum. You have to understand what curriculum is. And even though you don't have to be an education-oriented person to run a charter school, you do need to learn about it if you didn't know before. And curriculum is everything. It drives instruction. It drives the way they're going to evaluate you and in your abilities to have a school. And if you don't do well with that, you will not last. You will be closed. And so um, we are one of the... Um, I don't think there's a ton of schools that have been around for 18 years. And I think it's because I really am an educator. I figured out the finances and I just follow the rules. I mean, if you yeah. don't want to follow the rules, do not open a charter Yeah. and whatever they say, you find a way to make it happen. Yeah. So let's, let's back up and define what a charter school is because before I moved to Arizona, I grew up in Iowa. <laughs> this was, you know, a while ago, so I don't know that charter schools existed then. But for those who aren't real clear about what the differences are between a charter school and a public school, tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so a charter school is uh, what makes it different is it is still a public school, but it's run more like a private school. Mm. In that you you still have a, a I still have a board that I answer to, um, and uh, but that board is aware of my mission and what we're set out to do, so it's easy to see if I'm following that or not. So it's not very hard on accountability because. You know, it just is. It's we're small enough that there's not a lot of um, there's like zero politics in it, to be honest. Mm, in nice. a small school, you're not going to have any politics um, and, and everything's straightforward. And we know who we are and we we live our mission every every single day. And it's uh, so a charter is a contract between a person or a, it can be a contract with a corporation. Uh, you could make yourself into 501 or I mean, yeah, 501 C3 or you could do a LLC or whatever you want. Um, but I just signed my name at the time. I didn't quite understand all that stuff, but mm -hmm. I signed my name and then later incorporated with a 501 C3. But um, so there is a contract that I signed that says I will provide education in a powerful way uh, following the approved uh, special things that I was going to do, which was to um, focus on bringing an international element into our schooling and also uh, getting kids accepted to college and um, that our target population was a 88% Hispanic and uh, first generation to go to college. I really wow. wanted to make a difference for that particular crowd because that's yeah. who I seemed to be attracted to, or that's who kept coming to me. And yeah. I answered their call, you know? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes your mission finds you. Yes, that's right. And that's a bit of what happened there. Yeah. Uh, when the mission came, I said yes and have never looked back. Yeah. We've got less than a minute to our next break. What do you think is the biggest challenge you had getting started? Uh, getting started was 
um, finding the first round of students because you're an unknown entity. And so that was a little tricky. And also getting a building. Lord, they don't give charter schools a, um, a stipend or any kind of help with your public building. So, and, uh, you have to be up to code and you have to, so there, there was a big financial element that I didn't even know I was going to have to have. I found a way to have it, but it took some doing. Those were the things, building and people. Absolutely. And we're coming up against our next break. My special guest this week is Dr. Jennifer Herr. We're talking about charter schools. And when we come back, I'm going to ask her about her philosophy of education, where education in the United States stands in the world and opportunities for her students to study at Oxford. And she'll tell us all about that. We'll come right back. Awesome. The mission is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Surveys show that 81% of people wish they could, but many never do. If you're one of those people, I can tell you why. You don't think you have time, you may not know how, or you might not believe you are a good enough writer. When you're working with an experienced coach, these reasons go away because I will help you every step of the way. If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.briankwright.com for more information. Once again, that's briankwright.com. This is the Tokenet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush. With phone sites, that is never an issue. You can generate as many leads as you want without paying a lead broker. With phone sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. It's easy and you have nothing to lose. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Once again, that's phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we are back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Dr. Jennifer Herrera. And if you have not downloaded and subscribed to Success Profiles Radio on iTunes, please do that. Leave a review. That would mean a lot. Thank you for that in advance. I would really appreciate that. So, Jennifer, I would love to ask you about your philosophy of education. I know that I took the education track when I was in college and ended up teaching in college for a little while. I mean, not everyone knows that, but I did teach for a little while at a two-year business college. But one of the classes required me to define my philosophy of education. I'd love to hear yours. Yes. Well, education, I believe, uh, it's had different purposes. But one thing I can say about my philosophy in particular is that I believe education should give you the basics so that you can communicate in life. And I think it should open your mind to possibilities and to study past history so that you can be a part of making a very positive future history. I think that education is a chance for scientists to 
see what's been done, see what's being done right now, and then plan how they can scientifically um, better like medicine or better uh, other chemicals and things like that that we need and, and can use for a quality of life increase. I, I love um, the the different clubs and the dancing and the, the sports, all of that just adds to the joy of life. And kids uh, are able to really grow in all kinds of areas. How about music and art less these days, but um, at least music and art uh, that we were exposed to is like an intro. And if, if like a budding musician maybe never would have known they had a heart for it if they didn't have that music class. So those are the kinds of things philosophy of education simply put is that it should give the uh, well-grounded foundation and lots of opportunity to grow and be exposed to the, the wonders of life. Absolutely. People like to compare the education systems around the world. How do you think our educational system in the United States compares to other countries in the world? Well, that's something that's hotly debated. It now, is. the the group of people out there that look at test scores and say test scores determine that are going to have a different uh, answer than my answer. My answer would be based on um, quality of life, um, uh, career satisfaction, mm. getting to go do what you love every day, uh, having the opportunity to make more money simply by coming up with a new idea. Wow. And so uh, for, I mean, our education system teaches one thing different than many other countries, and that is we teach kids to think outside the box. We teach them to be problem solvers, and we teach them to be discerning. And in these days, with media being interesting and you're not sure if you trust what they're presenting anymore, uh -huh. uh, that's where education has a chance to say, well, so what do you think, kids? How could you validate or not validate something? You know, and it, it makes for good, um, regular, real-life learning as far as um, how to perceive things and how to communicate. Yeah. And as you well know, Tony Robbins likes to say the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions that you ask. So is that something that you drill your students on is just the art of asking <laughs> great questions so that you can get better answers? Absolutely. And the teachers as well, they love asking questions. You know, the kids want to know an answer and we often answer with another question mm -hmm. because there's layer upon layer of knowledge and each question gets you a little deeper. Yeah, absolutely. So you've had students who've been offered an opportunity to study at Oxford. I'd love to hear about that. <laughs> that was fun. Had two students, uh, excellent writers, excellent uh, stored, like scored like 99% on standardized tests, two of them and in the same school at the same year. So that was really fun. So we uh, created a field trip to England and we went to Oxford University and we met people there. And we had a student who accompanied us for the whole day and told us all about him getting to go study at Oxford and how that worked. And he was from Poland, a very poor community. And he just had a gift for academics. He was able to achieve and he knew English well enough. And he told us how it works, that there are actually graduates of Oxford that will sponsor one student and pay for their entire tuition for the four or five years, however long it takes. Wow. 
and he was telling our kids that is possible. Don't let the money stop you. And also there's something called um, over the pond or something like that that is like a FAFSA. Uh, FAFSA is our federal student loans program. There's a version of that that works for some countries. And there is a version that works for helping fund kids who want to get educated over in England. Mm. So many opportunities. Money was not going to be a, a, a game killer. So they really considered neither one of them ended up going there. One of them had a family situation come up and they just wanted to be close because things were tentative. And mm -hmm. the other one got just a killer deal at another university. Mm. So, <laughs> and it was here in the States. And I think the parents probably appreciated that, but the idea that they went there were um, wined and dined basically by this current student who was even more poor than any of them and was going to Oxford. It just made it all seem possible. And I have no doubt that it fueled their awareness for how valuable and how important they are and how anything is possible. Wow. So that brings me to my next question, because as I mentioned in your bio, all of your students who want to go to college are offered multiple scholarships to go to schools. And we're not, and we're not talking about just Arizona and Arizona State. Nothing wrong with those schools, but like prestigious Ivy League level schools too, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> yep, we have that. Um, and really, I, I mean, the first and foremost way to get a scholarship is to really have a, a stellar GPA. And that means you need to get A's. You need to get A's and maybe one B. And that you need to do that for four years in a row, freshman, ju sophomore, junior, senior. And uh, in a smaller school like ours, uh, we are able to monitor and help the kids make the right decisions. We have study halls. We have things like that. We have tutoring. We have uh, other programs they can use to learn remedial stuff if they, say, come to our school without having some basic foundations in place. And, uh, and we can get them where they need to be. And we don't hand them anything. I think that's the difference. If a, mm -hmm. a public school is just handing out A's so they can look like they got kids into college, that's a big mistake. I'm so mm -hmm. tough on them. I'm make them prove five different ways that they got the, the information. Wow. And um, that, I think, is why they're able to actually get the, the um, scholarship money and to actually go to college. So that's a, you just have to do the work. You must yeah. do the work. There's no shortcut. Absolutely. And during the pandemic, of course, everybody has had to make some major, major pivots. How has education evolved during the pandemic? And how has your school specifically adapted to this? Oh, boy. Well, we are graduating 26 seniors, so that wow. has been quite a struggle because um, it's one of our biggest classes, and it's the pandemic, so we don't see them every day. And they all are seniors, so they're trying to have jobs and go to school now. Mm. And guess what wins? That money wins over the, the schooling. Right. So we had to get tough with them, and we started having senior days. So we had to rent a very large room so we could be properly distanced and everything. And we have senior days where all day we have seminar with them. Uh, so they rotate through stations where they go to the computer lab and finish their applications and their scholarships. All of them are already currently accepted to two or more colleges. Wow. Uh, we also make sure they get accepted to a, um, a community college because if you have to retake a class or if you want to get started this summer, that's a great option. So we make sure they have that as well. And um, scholarships are, are rolling in. I think we're at, I think they said we're at 168,000 dollars combined total scholarships right now just for 26 kids That's and this amazing. we haven't even got that doesn't even include fafsa which is a five to six thousand dollar gift for every single one of them uh plus they can borrow if they needed more but usually they don't even need more 
Yeah. And um, we have a reputation in the state anyway. All the state colleges want us. And they're getting accepted everywhere. One of them got accepted to a school near where I grew up, Butler University up in Indianapolis area, mm -hmm. Indianapolis, Indiana. And I just thought that was really interesting. And that's a very well-known small private-ish type of school. And uh, he got a very, very lucrative scholarship. Wow. So I just love it that they have these opportunities. Yeah. So how do you support parents who may not be comfortable with the changes and the online thing? Because, you know, a lot of a lot of our parents didn't grow up learning all of this, how to do all of this. Well, I think everybody thought online was just going to be the answer. Woo, we're going to do online education. But I'll tell you what, it's been a big fail. Mm. Uh, there's there's a certain percentage of your kids who are probably going to do better than they did coming to school every day because wow. they're a little bit more tech oriented and they learn better that way. We all have different learning styles, but that percentage is like six to 13% because we did our own research. Cause guess what? I'm a PhD. So right. we did, we did a real research project on that. And that's what we found. There's that little small margin that did extra, extra well, better than they've done in years. Mm. Um, then the rest of them, guess what they did way worse. Mm. They've already lost like a year in their productivity for their education as we look at standardized tests we uh, have done our first round we're doing our second round right now it's really hard to get them to come in you have to have a lot of um area and space with the uh clean i mean we're okay with all that because we can do that that's really not that hard but uh the fear factor i mean mm -hmm. the media definitely helped us accomplish being very fearful yeah. of all this so um that fear factor is probably our biggest thing. And it's okay to be fearful. I understand we don't want to die. I don't want to die either. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, we life does go on. And um, these kids have an opportunity, but it's a one-time opportunity. If you don't go right after high school, you lose all those scholarships and they don't come back to you. Yeah. So we're having those senior days to build momentum. We're being very um, open with our parents, talking to them. But our parents must be already trained. They're kind of like, oh, heck no, he's going to college. You know? <laughs> yeah. So he might live at home. Um, colleges seem to get by better with online education, although my daughter had online classes and in-person. She much preferred the in-person, and she always got a lower grade with the online. So mm. it's your learning type. It's your uh, what you're trying to do. I still – I just uh, – the conclusion I have is that face-to-face -face education um, will always have a place. It will yeah. always be needed in some capacity. You can never just totally digitalize all of that. Yep. Absolutely. We've got about a minute to our final break. Your school is different because you teach life topics. What are examples of some of those? We're talking about bouncing a checkbook, uh, starting a business. Yes. Well, the state of Arizona did a big push for economics, and it works perfect for me because we were already making financial plans with our seniors for how they were going to afford um, a college. And so there's a program, Earn to Learn where kids learn to start putting up to $400 in an account and then the grant like matches it or quadruples it or something like that. And it's great money. Absolutely. We're coming up against our final break. This is Success Profiles Radio. Our guest is Jennifer Herrera. We'll come right back after the break. Please stay with us. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The mission is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. 
are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush. With phone sites, that is never an issue. You can generate as many leads as you want without paying a lead broker. With phone sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. It's easy and you have nothing to lose. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Once again, that's phonesites.com forward slash Brian. This is the Tokenet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. It's words you've never heard. Whenever we hear a recording of our own voice, it always sounds different than we think. This is because the bones in our skull create a resonance from within that makes our voice sound deeper to us. But our recorded voice is how others hear us. I'm sure I'm not the first person who has uttered the words, I really don't sound like that. Do I? Margaret Thatcher famously underwent vocal training to lower her voice and make her sound more statesmanlike. Recently, British Airways polled Americans and Britons to see who they believed had the sexiest voices. Morgan Freeman was voted number one. If a judge loves the sound of his own voice, expect a long sentence. What's a word for a person who loves to hear the sound of their own voice? A philodox. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Dr. Jennifer Herrera, and she is the founder and superintendent of Tucson International Academy with four campuses in Tucson, Arizona. So I would love to ask, you started with one campus, and then you went to two, and then you went to four. How did you know that it was time for you to expand? Because a lot of business owners listening might wonder, too, when is it a good time to expand? How do you know that it's time to grow? For me, I knew it was time to do something because I am not a detail person. And when you have one, whether you have one charter school or you have 50 under the same charter, it doesn't matter because you still have to do all that paperwork. You have to have a report on attendance and a report on the international school lunch program. And you have to have a report on special ed and EL. And oh my goodness, the list goes on and on and on. There's a lot of digital data collection that must be done. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do it, then you don't get to have a charter. So I used to do all that because we were so small. There was no reason to hire somebody else. And I did not like it. So I started a second school. It took off right away. And then I opened two more schools. It was just a matter of buildings being able to be found. And otherwise I'd opened more faster, but um, we found them. We got four schools open and now I don't have to do that. Yay. That's great. I have somebody full time who does all the data and keeps us very much a hundred percent compliant. And, and I really like how that feels. <laughs> That's fantastic. So your schools get grants to operate. What is the process of writing a grant like? 
Um, well, for us that love to write, which would be me, um, <laughs> it's fun. I like to get creative. I'm like, ooh, I got this idea. I wonder if I could fund it through a grant. So I'll look at all the grant options and I'll say, this one looks close. Let's see if it fits. And then you start writing it and you, next thing you know, it's already written. You submit it and either you get it or you don't. I have a, I have a exceptionally high rate of getting grants. I have about 80%. Mm. But it's because over the years I've learned uh, to look at a grant and see if it's uh, potentially going to be a yes from them or not. Mm. And um, I also you know, look at the stats, like how many people are getting how much money. I make sure that my grant fits that kind of norm and it's um, easier to get a yes. So, yeah. yep. And so I love writing them. I have other people that write them too. Um, and the accounting firm that I have, they're very aware of what other schools are writing. So when they see one or get a good idea, they do it, uh, they do it for me. So That's I enjoy fantastic. working with them. Great. You do motivational speaking outside of your school. Tell us about that. Oh, I just love um, talking to an audience about, you know, the excitement, the joy of owning your own business. Um, I talk probably more about business in those uh, talks than school, but right. school's a part of it. You know, you always have to go back and get a certification for this or you got to get um, verified that you can do whatever it is for the specific uh, job field you're in. But I love talking about careers and the the absolute hands down possibility that you can wake up every day happy to go to work. And it breaks my heart to see people who aren't feeling that way. And also if you own your own business, you have more chance to survive because you can make the difference. You don't have to hope that the management is handling the money, right? You know, when, when all the close downs happened with uh, COVID, we saw immediately who maybe was running too, too tight of a margin. And so they were the first to go. And that's so sad because if you can um, manage, like if you are just working for someone, you have to hope they're doing it. But if you're doing it, you can p position yourself financially so that you can withstand things like that. Three months, six months, 12 months, whatever you're able to put aside. And it does work. And that is what successful businesses do. Yeah. So you don't know the, the climate could change, the market could change and this and that happens. And you just have to be fluid. And as the changes come, you you adjust. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you connect with high-level people? What are some do's and don'ts? Um, say that again. How do we what with them? Connect with high-level people. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I love that. Um, well, you go where they go. Uh, one of the best things I've, I've found for that, where I had a whole new group of um, high-level friends, especially in the business world, was a, a conference called Mega Success. And at that conference, there were about 2,500 people, and uh, certain ones of us were asked to, to give a speech on stage. So it was a very big audience for me. It was my biggest audience, 2,500 people. And at the end of my speech, um, where I was just sharing our story about our business, which is schools, I got a standing ovation. And that nice. does stuff for you. And the community is very uh, respectful and supportive of one another. And so I have so many friends all over the world who are running their businesses. Um, everything on COVID, they're talking about it. We refer to each other. They're like, Jennifer, what are you doing for your schooling? My daughter's falling apart, blah, blah, blah. And then I give them a few suggestions. And um, I just answered a text today from one of my friends in Aruba. And uh, he said, what can I do for my second grader? And it was just a pleasure to be able yeah. to, to help uh, connect with that kind of people. And um, it's, it just makes your day. Absolutely. So you have a book called Making College Come True. What made you decide to write this? 
we decided we wanted to record our uh, systems and our methodology for getting kids into college. Um, now, systems, I mean, you can have even more specific ones. But the thing is, remember, we have to keep it a little fluid because some years one thing is easier than another. So if you're talking about um, finances, you got to look and see, I mean, is FAFSA still running? Yes, it is. Okay, so we can talk about that in the, the finance plan. Um, how about um, extracurricular activities? What are they desiring now? Um, well, it used to be, um, you know, maybe sports and piano lessons, but, you know, now they'd like to see if you have, if you know how to write code and if you are, um, have ever been a part of uh, certain current new youth conferences. Uh, have you traveled? I mean, travel has always been a big one, but now it's just expected. It's like, where have you traveled to? Not if you've traveled. Um, you know, what is your awareness of the world? Um, where do you go for your source? If you only go to social media, that's a wrong answer. You mm -hmm. know, so they're expecting the kids to be well-read and things like that. So um, I think writing the book kind of summarized the 10 basic areas that we uh, use and it's a lot of questions, you know, the, you know, asking the right questions. Uh, and that does seem to do the trick. You stay within those 10 sections and you are going to have success. Yeah. College can be very expensive. What are some of the best ways to pay for college if you don't have the money? I mean, obviously scholarships and grants are, are good answers, but are there some outside the box ideas too? Absolutely. Anybody, uh, you know, it depends on what age they are. There's, you know, you could go to college at any age. Right. A friend of mine who's in her fifties is going and she is really doing well. Um, so, uh, one thing is military. Never discount the military. There's a good skill set to be learned there. It's also a, a chance to, to leave your home. You do your three to four years and you get your um, GI Bill and they will pay for your college. And that's a super plan. You can also do it the other way around. You can do ROTC in college and get your degree first and then enter the military as an officer, making more money and being more in charge. And those are really good options. There's also look at the market. If one year I remember in Tucson, they, they were short on vets. So the U of A had this killer deal for people who wanted to go back to college and become a veterinarian. And they had four years, 100% paid. Wow. That was cool. Yep. Another. Um, so if you look at the job market and what's needed and then see where you can get the money right now, there's money in something called Teach America, because guess what? We're low on teachers. So yeah. you can become a teacher uh, at relatively no cost. Um, yes, you can always get a loan. And guess what? Everybody's these days is afraid of those student loans. Mm -hmm. But if you're strategic, if you're a teacher, that's easy. Teach at a Title I school, which means you have a low uh, SES group, socially economic uh, status. Um, you can get your loans forgiven. That's what I do. And the mm -hmm. schools that I serve are that. And so in about, I think, six more years, mine will be gone. And I'm not leaving anyway. This is my business. It's something I love. It's, it's my passion and it's my mission in life. Absolutely. So you can get repayment programs for your loans, you go to the military, you can look out there and see if there are professions that are sponsoring special grants and gifts. You can go to Oxford uh, University in England and uh, get matched with someone who wants to support you all four years. There are yeah. so many ways to pay for college. Never let money keep you from pursuing your college if that's your dream. Absolutely. We've got less than four minutes or so till the end. So let me ask you, what do very few people know about you that might surprise us? <laughs> well, I am an interesting person. <laughs> you are. That's why you're here. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I enjoy many aspects of life. Um, but uh, one 
aspect that's not really very public is music. I love uh, music and um, I do play, you know, a lot of instruments and um, I do currently play for our church worship team and I am a a bass player. Wow. (laughs) I am an 80s child and we, yes, have rock uh, rock style of worship and it's wow. so much fun my goodness the sound the boom of the bass the the grounding it kind of gives you because you feel the vibration all through your your body and we don't blast it I mean we are 50 I already yes. don't have hearing so yeah <laughs> we are um but the uh just the whole experience of playing music with other musicians and and that is an art in itself and then uh, just having fun with it and of course um enjoying what you're doing and then of course I see and do other things. I play the keyboard. I play the guitar. I play um, the congas. I I just have enjoyed instruments and always had little private lessons going on on the side all the time. And I've also given lessons. I used to pay back a lot of bills by offering piano lessons and used to make like $85 a week, which was a big deal back then. (laughs) Wow. You you probably saw me me post this on social media a couple days ago, but if you were on your final approach to attack the Death Star, what song are you cranking? (laughs) <laughs> I thought about it when I saw your your site. I thought, um, for me, I just can't help but think of Tony Robbins' uh, conferences. And it's kind of like uh, uh, the song Jump, you know, yeah. from Van Halen. Yeah. Uh, just getting ready. You're going to jump. You know, you're going to get yep. it. And uh, it's not too aggressive. It's just kind of like a knowing that you're going to win. You know, <laughs> you're going to get jumped. So I, yeah, that's what I thought of. <laughs> Great. Two minutes to the end. If you could talk to the 18-year-old version of yourself, what would you tell her? I would say don't limit yourself. Keep your mind open. Look and see. Uh, the Listen to your heart. What bothers you? What, what uh, problems could you solve? And uh, maybe um, don't be afraid to talk about it with other people because you'll gather like-minded people. That's great. And the question I ask everyone, who inspires and motivates you? Oh, Wow. I mean, can't help but say Tony Robbins and my yes. coach, David Fabricius. I, um, one of my Tony Robbins coaches, Brenda. Uh, I mean, I just have so many people that have touched my life, and I'm forever grateful. Fantastic. And how can we find you? How can we vibe with you and try with you? Oh, TucsonInternationalAcademy.com uh, is our website for our schools. And then for me personally, um, I ha- am at Jay Herrera at TucsonInternationalAcademy.com. Um, and just look me up. I am pretty available. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. This was fun. Oh, I loved it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. This has been Success Profiles Radio. Join me every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern where I interview another world-class achiever, learn what they did, what they overcame, and the lessons we can take from their journeys. Until next week, have a great one, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you for being a part of Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright. Each week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. We'll have guests that will come from many different backgrounds, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. For more on Brian and the show, check out his website, briankwright.com. If you've ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living, then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Join us again next week for more Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright.